And now, Hollywood Prospectus. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Shia. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com and on the other line, he's just waiting for future to cover 1989. It's Andy Greenwald! Is is Jake not coming? Dobro Don! It's the Croatian sensation! (laughs) (laughs) So Jake's Jake's not coming back. Dobro Don means hello or kind of like good day in Croatian. I can't mess around it, man. I missed you. What's up, brother? We're back. I got a mouthful of ice five seconds into this thing. So unprofessional. We back. You you were gone for a long time. You know that? Yeah. You missed missed reams of culture. Yeah. You missed so much culture while you were gone. That's what the customs agent at LAX said. As soon as I showed up, he was like, man, TV has gotten good. Yeah. (laughs) Did he really? Was he excited to have you back? Yeah. Chris, um... I'm really excited to talk to you about all the things we missed. We're gonna obviously we'll talk about the Emmys and some some record albums that were released last night on yeah. Sunday. But mostly, I just want to know about Europe, man. I want this first half of this podcast to be like an early E.M. Forster novel, <laughs> where like a young naive beauty travels to the old world and learns something about herself that or himself in this circumstance that that might you yeah. know be awakening some sort of jamesian awakening yeah i here's the thing i think that vacations are kind of like dreams like nobody really gives a shit like people are super (laughs) nice about it we're like you got to tell me about all of it tell me about all of it and then you get like five seconds into telling them about all of it and you can just see them them die a little bit behind the eyes and you're like all right let's just move on so let's talk about the emmys no let's do one thing i have to ask because the people want to know the people who didn't think you were secretly suspended. <laughs> the, the other people want to know. I just like the idea that I could have said anything controversial enough to get suspended. Did, they should they should go back on some of our more recent podcasts where we <laughs> talked about television shows and largely popular and you know positive ways. Um, Chris, you know you you were on vacation. You were off the grid. I was very happy for you. It was a well deserved trip. You you did say it was a great time. Yeah. The only thing that I heard from you after the last text that was just. Oh, <laughs> which was a follow-up on the narc part that had yeah. come a day before. Yeah, was a photo of you in what appeared to be some sort of Slavic dungeon, <laughs> pretending to wield Sir Barristan's greatsword. Yeah. Now, I want to say you're welcome in advance because I did think about having Joe and Ryan and the guys throw that picture up on the big screen. No, I'm glad you didn't. We didn't do that. That was a private. Friends and family photo. <laughs> but I would like to know the Thrones aspect of your trip. Because yeah, that so is relevant to our interest. Because you were in the place where they film a lot yeah, of the season. and I have to say, underrated Thrones destination is Split Croatia. Mm. Which I think is, they do some marine stuff, like some interior marine stuff there. And uh, I saw where they where they got your boy, Sir Barristan. Yeah, well, he got got. But you said that was also where one of Danny's dragons ate a dude. Yeah, when she feeds feeds the homies to the dragon, and is, and then the, the the would-be husband is, like, shook. But wow. then she, she decides to, to wife him up instead of... So that's the magic of cinema. Like, that's the same place. Yeah, well, speaking of the magic of cinema, there was... I took the Dubrovnik Game of Thrones tour. Uh, okay, you did do a tour. See, I didn't even... See, this is what I need to yeah, know. Yeah, and the... It was fine. It was good. I'm not trying to knock the Dubrovnik. If you're in Dubrovnik, feel free to take the Game of Thrones tour. But they did get us up on the top of this fort for like 45 minutes. And you're just like, yeah. this is we're going to see some real, real Game of Thrones stuff up here. And the thing you forget about Game of Thrones is that it is 
fantasy show and a lot of it is cgi so the he was like as you can see here you may recognize this scene from when Bronn spoke with Tyrion. right (laughs) and you're like yeah i I do remember that (laughs) did he was he like now close your eyes and imagine stannis's navy basically he was like imagine blackwater but just make it dark and then have a green explosion and also it was shot in ireland (laughs) how much right how much of Croatian tourism uh-huh. is devoted to Game of Thrones seekers. No, pretty little. Like, you know, I mean, I think that Dubrovnik had a fair amount. There was like a Game of Thrones store there. But mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, they have a rich history. How big is our podcast there? Like really big or incredibly <laughs> big? Like just ballpark. I don't know. I, 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 would, I, I stood outside of the Game of Thrones store for like <laughs> Did two you? hours, you know, just sort of with a pen. But nobody yeah. came up to me. <laughs> That's, they were probably just too intimidated. They're yeah. not used to seeing, you know, podcast celebrities in that <laughs> part of Europe. All right. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. I'm sorry I tried to replace you with a successful television star. I won't do that again, I promise. It's okay. Um, let's talk about successful television. Let's talk about last night. Yeah. Let's go through this quickly because I feel like award shows don't age that well. You know, so let's let's try to – I'm trying – I want to move through this with a spread offense that Chip Kelly would be proud of. <laughs> um, yeah. Andy, what was your uh, – what was the major headline for you from last night? Uh, like, okay. if I'm like, I, what happened at the Emmys? What was the first thing you want to tell me? The I mean, first I know thing what I want to tell Emmys, you, but. you didn't watch the Emmys, did you? This is great, great deflection. I thought last night was a really interesting case study in the battle for television's future. Okay. Um, here's why I say that. Because for 10 or 15 years, I think that TV has been in a really enviable position in that thanks to this the so-called golden age of television, thanks to people talking and obsessing about it on podcasts and recaps and things like that, um, for the most part, the shows that were rewarded on Emmy night were shows that the general public wanted to watch. Not necessarily the, most high, the highest rated shows, but in general there was some overlap between the critical opinion, the industry opinion, and the popular opinion. Sure. So that for the last 10, 15 years, we're looking at drama winners. We're looking at West Wing. We're looking at The Sopranos. We're looking at Lost in 24. uh, We're looking at Homeland, which kind of made sense in that year. And we're looking at um, Breaking Bad, which is probably the most important one to mention. All of those shows were pretty consensus. Like, a lot of people watched them. And even if you didn't love them, you understood that they were pretty good. Yeah. We are really moving out of that time period in a hurry. And, you know, we're seeing that all over the board. We're seeing that in all these There Are Too Many TV pieces. We're seeing that even in our podcast where you and I love a lot of shows, but we're not always loving the same shows at the same time. Sure. Um, And so I thought it was pretty interesting the way the show broke on – into two camps. There were were the awards that were familiar and safe feeling, and then there was the sort of the unknown. And we saw the unknown crashing the party with Jill Soloway and Transparent. Um, And then the biggest award was – Game of Thrones winning. Right. Which seemed to be a concession to the two, right? To the two camps. It was a critically acclaimed show that happens to be one of the most popular things on television. Exactly right. Now, we should put a caveat here that, like, obviously, entire votership blocks don't think en masse. So when I say, like, what the Emmys were doing, that's kind of a ridiculous thing because there are many, many people with very different goals. Yeah. But Game of Thrones... We like the show. We talk about it. You went on a guided tour and stood outside a a gift shop, right? (laughs) But there is no reality in this one or the one with dragons where it's the best written show on TV. 
It just isn't. And I would argue that it's pretty tough to make the case that it's the best best drama on TV. Now, against those nominees, that's a different story. But what I was feeling after last night is that it's just unquestionably the most TV and the biggest TV. Yeah. You know, and in a way, it was a popular choice and a populist choice, but in many ways it was also a safe choice because everyone watches it. And it's kind of the only show left that everyone watches. Yeah, I, I guess I, I mean you, you mentioned this, these Emmy voters, and I'm kind of curious about like who who of these guys who are the Emmy voters who don't watch Mad Men, and we're like, yeah, yeah. well, well, just won't, we just won't give anything to Mad Men. Well, here's well, a couple things to, to put into the conversation. One is that <clears throat> there was a rule change this year, and in the past, um, in order to vote in a category, you had to basically be on a, a voting committee. Yeah. This is to vote for the winners. Now, uh, there were more than like 10 people. They were quite big, the voting blocks. But in order to be in it, you had to basically, well, 15 years ago before DVD screeners, you actually apparently had to show up and prove that you sat in a theater and watched all the submitted nominee episodes in order to vote. Since then, it was like an honor system. You said you would watch them. You got the screeners. Starting this year, anyone who is in the Academy as an actor could vote on all the acting categories. Um, anyone who was in as a director could vote on all the directing categories and so on and so on. Uh, everyone v- votes on the series categories. Right. So that, you know, was a, it was an opportunity to theoretically open the gates a little bit and let different points of view in. Um, but I also could see it really affecting the races in terms of something like John Hamm winning. Now, I'm really thrilled John Hamm won. Like, I think he deserved it, and I was very grateful and relieved that he won. But in this case, it's very possible that people bailed on Mad Men but had seen it when it was winning awards sure. when it was new. And they were like, well, I, I didn't really watch a lot of these shows because, you know, other than other than maybe you, like, and a couple other people who are on, constantly at me on Twitter, I don't know who watched Bloodline. Um, <laughs> they're like, he deserves it. Sure. I feel reasonably okay voting for him, even though I don't really know what he did other than invent Coca-Cola. Right. So I feel like that, there are there were there were probably voters like that in play. I and that's just Kyle one Chandler does not invent Coca-Cola at the end of Bloodline. I'm sorry. To- he, he doesn't? <laughs> no. Why would you spoil that? <laughs> That was that was my other favorite moment. I got the I Andy Samberg joke about Kyle Chandler. Samberg was sneaky great the yeah. whole night. Samberg was terrific, and it was insane to me that people weren't laughing at him. Um. Mm. So okay, that's your major headline is 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 the sort of way that the show itself manifested the debate that's happening or the schism yes, because, that's happening in television. Because here's the thing, right? If you look at the Oscars, the Oscars are a, not a reflection of the movie industry. That's a it's a it's kabuki theater where they put on a show one night a year and they're like, no, these are the movies we care about, like, you know, biopics and art. They don't care about that. Right. They care about Transformers 9. That's what makes the money. But one night a year, they can pretend to put on they can pretend to be classy and put on suits and put on this high minded show. And I'm not saying that Jurassic World should be nominated for Best Picture. I don't know how you bridge that divide in the film world, but I'm saying TV has managed to avoid those debates for a long time. Here's I an idea. Is, that's been... Can we get Olive Kittredge also nominated for movies? Is that possible? Can we get can that in the we, Oscar? <laughs> can we greenlight a 3D Olive Kittredge sequel? With dinosaurs. With dino- Well, with dinosaurs other than Richard Jenkins, right? Jurassic Kittredge. I love Richard Jenkins. Um but that was another – that category was weird. First of all, the Emmys are always going to be a weird show because no matter what they do, it's going to be super funny for half an hour and then it's going to get really dull when they do miniseries. Yeah. It just always yeah. is. Because it's always like, like – it's and then there are those weird situations where you're like, why is Houdini so well, well represented in this show? I thought they made that up to be honest. Yeah. I was like, why is Adrian Brody here? Is he promoting that weird straight-to-video movie he did with Jackie Chan and John Cusack that apparently is the, one of the worst films ever made? Um, no, he wasn't. But 
yeah, like the, the that category, the miniseries, limited series, movie category, actually has the potential to be one of the more interesting ones going forward. Because that's kind of where a lot of the future TV stuff is getting hashed out with, you know, anthology series or limited series. American Horror Story and True Detective and stuff like right. that. But True Detective Season 2 was not eligible for any Emmys, nor did it deserve <laughs> any. Um, but Fargo um, Season 2, which I just saw the premiere of, and it's pretty dope, um, that also obviously was not eligible. So but because it be of next those, year? It'll be, both will be potentially eligible for next year. So because of that... True Detective it's, it's, Season 2 will be eligible. For, so, so you're yeah. saying there's a chance. Fingers... <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I'm saying is... I could I see Colin Farrell getting that... nominated for Best Actor next year. Sure. There's Yeah, I mean, he definitely could. I actually think that he would have been, if it had premiered two weeks earlier and, like, made the eligibility window in a year from now with a lot of other stuff between, you know, in it, between that show and where we are and just the, the popular opinion of that show continuing to sink. Right, I don't like the think television version of Limitless is still coming, so... You never know. But I'm saying in the absence of those bigger, interesting tickets, like they looked at the HBO. It's what they always do. They look at what, oh, what did HBO do and spend a lot of money on and have movie actors in. Oh, OK. Yeah. There you go. We'll vote for that. Yeah. Not that it's not deserving. Honorable Woman was the most deserving. Yes. But that's why I won. Um, what did you think? You watched that. You are a you are an avid viewer of television when you're not sunning yourself in Eastern Europe. I, was, in a, Europe. I was in a kind of a weird mood last night, man, because – I did spend – it was like kind of culture shock to come back and watch yeah. a four-hour f- Eagles game in which they scored three points and, and like it, they just – it was I, – I, I, this is not about football, but I'm just saying like I was in a weird weird zone last night. Listen, I, as someone who has spent many, many, many Sundays watching the Eagles <laughs> lose in your company, I can only imagine your state. So I think I was a little bit less amenable to like some of the the things that happen in every award show. You know, like I, I was just, just like, why is this happening? Like I was like, I was so there was that. But then that all got redeemed when David Benioff said Amanda Pete <laughs> instead of my wife. This is what we have to talk about. I'm glad you brought it to this. I've gone full circle on this. I thought it was so a explain little what, like explain what happened just for people. All right. So, all right. So David Benioff um, and D.B. Weiss are the guys who have uh, they're the showrunners of Game of Thrones. They They've written a lot it. of the key episodes. They are they are the ones who pilot that particular ship, and David Benioff, uh, in particular, is a interesting character and a, a fixation of ours a little bit because <laughs> he is a very tall, very handsome, very successful guy yeah. who has very good taste. He's, he wrote like a really good novel called City of Thieves. He wrote a movie that you especially love, Twenty Fifth Hour, mm-hmm. and um, now he's making Game of Thrones. And you know, as as my people <laughs> and half of yours say, Dainu, like that would have been enough, <laughs> right? But he's also married, happily married, by all accounts, to Amanda Peet. Yeah. Who has a personal, you know, uh, perennial place on, on, on my wall and perhaps the wall of this podcast. Yeah. And that's, you know, she's a terrific actor in her own right. And generally, people, I think, know that he's married to her. Yeah. Or just in the, it's not even about taking away from what she is and what she does and who she is. Yeah. But usually when people win awards... Right, so we They'll should say, just say so he, my I, and thanks to my lovely, amazing wife, and then he maybe maybe he'll call her Mandy. Maybe that's right. He'll maybe be like, he'll, call, he'll call her Big A. Whatever, you know what I mean? He'll, he'll be like <laughs> he'll be like and Mandy watching at home with the kids. I yeah. love you, girl. Go to bed now. Yeah, like, but yeah, <laughs> but 
and everyone's like, oh my god, because it's even better because right. it's like he calls right. her Mandy, and look how cute and intimate they are. But but no, no, he is like <laughs> he was up on stage, and maybe he thought it was his only time up there because yeah. that was the writing award, not the the best. Uh, Although shortly after award. that, you were like, Game of Thrones is going to be Mad Men. Without as soon as that happened, it was it was clear that right. was going to happen. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so then he got up there and he was like. And thank you to my wife, comma, Amanda Pete, comma. Yeah. <laughs> now, to his credit, he did not hold the glare of every man in the audience a beat too long. Look at me! Was <laughs> he just like, did I stutter? Yeah. No, he did not do that. But that was, at first I thought it was a little gauche, but now I'm like, that is a, that is a baller move. Yeah. That was basically like calling out not only that Matthew is the equivalent Weiner, of the Jimmy Graham dunking on the field goal pole. Like, yes, yeah. it was also like not just being like. By the way, Matthew Weiner, my sh- my show that has dialogue like, "Oh, you want a bit of this, Missy?" Uh, just beat your show, not only in the ratings, but now in the court yeah. of industry opinion. But by the way, Matthew Weiner. How's Mrs. Weiner doing? Uh, we have Celerize a show that where Lena Headey has to walk naked while people throw tomatoes at her and yell shame. <laughs> By the way, Lena Headey. Headey, yeah. I didn't, I see, I, we've, I, you know, we've never gotten that right. I know. We've never gotten that right. Um, um, apologies. So that was a wild move, though. So Benioff is now even more fascinating to me. Yes. Uh, I think that it was also interesting. I, I it was. It's really going to be interesting to see over the course of the next interminable five six months of, of award shows that we're going to be mm-hmm. subjected to mm-hmm. certain themes that came up in um in the emmys last night and one of the big ones was diversity yeah and it'll be interesting to see how that's manifested in in you know a lot of the movie awards that are going to be coming up in the golden globes and and whether or not because I, th- I think that there was a concerted effort made to diversify like the the nominees and, and obviously yeah, and, michael and, davis won yeah. And there's and I'm I'm very pleased with that. And I would say there are two things. Like Viola Davis winning, which is deserved. I mean I really wanted my my close personal friend Lizzie Moss to win, but I'm I'm very happy Viola Davis won. She's a tremendous actor and her speech was truly amazing. And I yeah. think people often in the moment will, you know, overreact to the power of a speech an actor gives, but I thought her speech was really remarkable. But I would say that the two other things happened around her speech that were in some ways even more noteworthy. One of which is um two of the three directing awards went to women uh-huh. and for as and it, you know for as much as there is underrepresentation of african americans and other minorities in front of the camera there is an equal underrepresentation i would say of people of color and women behind the camera and that makes an, a huge difference so jill soloway winning for transparent and lisa Cholodenko winning for uh olive kitteridge were a very big deal um but i would also point out regina king winning was terrific because Regina King has been working since she was like 15 years old on 227. Yeah. She is always good. She's good in everything. She's, yeah. She was good in um, Southland. She was good on 24. She's good in movies. She was in, I think she was in Boys in the Hood, wasn't she? She's yes. been in a lot of movies. And watching her win, I thought of two things. I thought of – do you remember that she was on The Strain in the first season as a – as the guy who's like Marilyn Manson's manager just That's wearing right. terrible heels and for yelling like, five, like a, For like a couple of episodes. Doesn't he kill her? I, I don't even remember because I, I, rem- I actually mentioned it in one of the pieces, which is what is she doing there? <laughs> yeah. Like, does she know? Did Isn't she like Regina say King yes to the wrong the email? Unit? Wasn't they, like that show, the Dennis Haysbert show that was on for like 15 years on CBS? I, I th- she was on Southland. I think she was married to Dennis Haysbert on 24. She was the first lady. But my point is, this Regina is my King point. Works a lot. She's always good. She works yeah. a lot. And it's just like, why, why is she in Toronto doing this nonsense part in the strain where she doesn't even get to be a vampire? Like, right. what's the point? 
And so I was thinking about what Viola Davis said, which is like you can't you can't be great unless you have the part, unless you're given the opportunity sure. to be great. And I, I hope that I, so I feel like Regina King example is the one that I hope people take away from last night, which is you give people a chance. They can be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think that award shows are essentially really stupid dog and pony shows and like have nothing to do with what's good or what's bad in any given medium. So if they want to turn those shows or if those shows want to become more about highlighting important issues in culture and popular culture industries, like all, all the better for it. Because I never, I've kind of like decided that just like i'm not no longer emotionally engaged with this stuff and you know sicario is not going to win best picture but it's the best movie i saw this year you, yeah you know what i'm saying and and so i i think that if there are opportunities for people like jill soloway and regina king to go up and and say important stuff it's like all the better for it what do you think of ham what do you think of ham winning what do you think of his can i ask you can i be really real with you right now it's about time i feel like people in europe are known for do their you honesty, think that so. john ham is cool like in real life no. No. I mean, I would love to hang out with him. But I like, mean, that, he seems like a nice not, guy. I don't mean like, do you think that he's just like, I don't have a ton to say? Um, Like, possibly. I even feel like if you stepped to him and you were just like, hey, man, how about Matt Holiday on the Cardinals this season? Like, he's had a hell of an yeah. August. He'd be like, yep. Pro- probably. I mean, to be honest, most actors. You had, like he had 10 years. How, how long has he been waiting for that moment? He, this was his eighth nomination right. in eight years. In eight years. So he has had all, the better part of a decade to get ready for that moment. Oh, and so he, you're saying you think he whiffed the moment a little bit. Yeah, he didn't whiff it. I mean, like, he did the bit where he's, like, climbing up on the stage and he can't believe it. And it's like he's there and everybody's giving him a standing ovation except for Christina Hendricks. And Which was interesting. That was weird. I mean, she couldn't get up. She, she was comfortable. <laughs> it would be awesome if he was like... Get up! <laughs> Get up, Hendrix. I am um, your god now. And everybody's applauding him. It's such Standing a long ovation. time in the making. And his bit is, it's impossible that I'm here. I was just like, come on, man. Like, you, you, I, you can have like a, like a slightly more elaborate... I, I would They're say not going to play off him. I would say this. He, after losing seven times in a row... Yeah. He definitely had to manage his expectations. Sure. probably underprepared intentionally. He's also, from what we've read in the in the media, he's had a you know, he hasn't had the easiest year. I'm not trying to be hard on John Hamm. No, I know that, but I am saying that I I feel like he probably had it planned through what he thought was a clever bit, and then realized that his sort of goofy cleverness was out of sync with the moment. I see. Because he was going to be goofy, downplay it, be humble, was not expecting it, and then what he got coming at him was this wild wave of sincerity. Sure. And it takes a very specific kind of preparation or performer to be able to surf that wave like viola davis was ready with a harriet tubman quote with that wave you know yeah what I mean? yeah, yeah and he was just like i'm john ham and like i feel like one of the reasons why people like john ham and it was funny that his his friend and collaborator tina fey gave him the award is that he looks like an astronaut but he seems willing to do just like the the goofiest improv scut work I, like he will do any bit i'm not I, we're not talking about deserve i'm not talking about anything other no, than the fact you hate that john like, ham no, you are christina you, Hendricks right here you refuse to stand up for him <laughs> you missed Forget this in it. europe didn't you yeah no i, I yeah i mean it, it the it is it, I, I think that what you're also saying with your first comment about his relative coolness is that it is weird to be in the audience and be forced to reckon with the disconnect between who these people a, are in real life versus character are, and some of them yeah. like say a Tina Fey does a very good job or an Amy Poehler for instance like 
Amy Schumer, like a lot of these, a lot yeah. of these people are like very in control of what the characters that they play say, so that they're fairly That's like, right. close to the way that they behave in real life. So that when you talk to somebody like that or you hear somebody talk like that you're like oh that's exactly what i thought amy schumer would say in this situation but with somebody like him who's been reading matthew weiner's words for for almost a decade it's kind of funny when he just gets up there and he's like wow okay yeah (laughs) i i mean there are very many different kinds of actors and i'm very you know his career in the next decade is really interesting to me because he is clearly like an incredible instrument season three of bloodline dog (laughs) is that where is that where we're headed they need that. They need that soda inventor in yeah. the mix. No, but like he, he's able to access like this very. He's very charismatic on screen. And he's able to access a deep well of emotion and bring it to his performance. Yeah, certainly absolutely. that performance. Absolutely, but, I'm not doubting his his internal depth. No, I just I just think that it's interesting because yeah. some actors can tap into someone else's stuff and then give you that performance, and then when they're then it's like. They're unplugged and they don't have that. When well, we'll see. Screen. We'll see how 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 he does on season two uh, of Narcos. <laughs> can you imagine? Um, yeah, it was the only other thing I'll say that was weird about last night before we move on, which was that insane um, in memoriam to shows that have fallen in the line of duty this year, oh, where yeah. they essentially spoiled all the major dramas that ended in 2015. Which was that a, somebody? I think I saw somebody say that that was almost like a middle finger to streaming services. Yes, right. I retweeted that because it was. It, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as just completely tone deaf, the completely tone deaf as to how the audience watches TV. Like, no, it didn't occur to anyone outside the bubble that there were people who hadn't watched these shows. Right. Or you could look at it in a more nefarious way and be like, this was a middle finger to streaming services because the, what the Emmys were doing was asserting the primacy of the live watch and basically being like, if you didn't watch it when it was live, yeah. there's no way for you ever to watch it, which is so insane because. HBO is essentially a streaming service now. That's going to be its main business soon. Netflix and Amazon are winning these awards, and their whole business is predicated on the idea that we make content in 2015. You can watch in 2025, dude. It's cool. Whenever you want. So that just seemed – that was another example that seemed almost passive-aggressively like, no, we we, we will not accept the future. Yeah. So that – so. That all of that may be the only that might be the way someone like me who is who knew he had to write two thousand words on it in a few hours was watching it. I, I don't know how it played in the room. It was it was the lowest rated Emmys in history, so we can, we really? can say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of that is because as much as people in this country, well, like it TV, also because like, like Seahawks Packers was on too. They, they like they like football on TV more. Yeah. and and I think the last few years the Emmys had been moved to uh, late August. Yeah. Um, where the NFL season hadn't started yet. And one year NBC had it, and they put it on Monday night, so they could still have the game. I, I would imagine they're going to scramble football reference and uh, <laughs> put it on a different time next year. Hey, before we move on, let's take a break in today's podcast to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. It's basically like Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek also has technology called DealScore that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. For a limited time only, use promo code HOLLYWOOD in the SeatGeek app or website and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, to redeem your promo code and save $20, use HOLLYWOOD, like the name of our podcast, to save on your first SeatGeek purchase today. Well, if you weren't watching the Emmys last night or watching Packers Seahawks, 
you were probably listening to one of the two albums that was released last night. Yeah, big night. Uh, big night and, for music. Okay, so the, the, they're in some ways they were both. They're not entirely like explicitly collaborations, but in some ways they were collaborative al- yeah. albums. And um, one was Ryan Adams's covers record or reinterpretation, as it says in the official liner notes, uh, reinterpretation of Taylor Swift's 1989. So we did a song for song cover of her most recent album. And then the other was What a Time to Be Alive, which is a collaborative record by Drake and Future. Uh, great, re- great record title. I want to do the music. I want to talk about these records. But I also want to talk about the fact that that was the first night where I definitely felt like you Apple had the, the conch now. Like, music was running through Apple. Did you feel that way when you watched the Kerry Washington, Mary J. Blige, and Taraji Henson ad? Well, no, but we I, I love that. It was a great commercial. But I do think that, like, you know, we've we've often talked, like, not necessarily in this podcast, about the joy that we used to experience when, um, like, say, Good Friday yes. would happen, when Kanye right. was releasing records for My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fancy. Before that, every Friday he would put out, like, a new song, and everybody would hear it at the same time, and everybody would start tweeting about it and emailing it, it to each other. It was so much, so much fun. And that sort of has dissipated a little bit i mean people still like will be like this song has come out and i want to talk about it and everybody's talking about it but it, it had been a long time since i'd felt like a quote-unquote release day yeah like there was last night and i even you know even you and i who were chatting with each other during the course of the emmys and i was like drake and future's out and then like an hour later i was like 1989's out you know and we were emailing each other back and forth about this stuff um it really does feel like I don't know what they're going to do with this newfound power and how often they can sustain it. And how, there are not going to be that many Sundays where Drake right. and Taylor Swift are involved, but Drake and Taylor Swift were involved last night. It was kind of more interesting than the Emmys. It was definitely more interesting. I think it also we should say this like this was a moment that was particularly well suited to artists like Drake and Ryan Adams, both of whom are enormously prolific. Yes, and are very yeah. very excited to just record a ton of stuff. Drake to still has views from the six supposedly coming out this year which would be his third album this yes. year and ryan um, adams had told zane Lowe today that he already has recorded his next yeah. album yeah. his next two albums his or, or it's a double albums. album or yeah. something and he told uh, yeah he told Stephen hyden on grandland that as well in a really good interview i think um i just to rewind a little bit not to be shills for the people who make our phones but the Apple Music experiment, not as a you know a corporate monoculture taking our nine ninety nine every month, but just as a music fan experience, is really good. You talked about this the day it launched. I didn't. I didn't have the. I didn't have the RAM space to upgrade. You're like, how do I upgrade? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we we all approach we all approach things at our own speed. Yeah. But I got it now. I got that Beats One, and it's really fun. Yeah. It is really fun to listen to this radio station and hear something that is being broadcast in a hundred countries and to just hear new things and to hear a conversation about it and to to make music feel crackling and alive and you can again feel the fingerprints way. sometimes like when they play halsey 500 times and yeah. you're just like i get it this is and in some ways it's worse than the radio because you're like these guys have decided that they're going to try yes. and break this artist and yes and, and for i don't want to listen the, to new americana 14 times in an and, hour. And for the skeptical asterisk, please read our friend and colleague Sean Fennessy's piece about Apple Music right. and Halsey and the invention of superstars and branding that's on Grandland. Just search some combination of those words. That was a really, really great piece. But 
that fe- but that the feeling of being connected again. And this actually loops into a conversation we've been having for a couple of years, and it loops into what we were saying about why Game of Thrones is winning and one of the reasons why I like writing about TV, which is I like... Being part of the conversation. I like being part of a larger conversation. Yeah. I, I don't particularly like... I don't mind listening, engaging in, you know, in with culture on personal terms in a small, boxed-off way. Like, I don't know many other people who reread James Crumley's The Mexican Tree Duck for the third time last week <laughs> and wondered why, why all books aren't like that. Yeah. That's cool. I'm cool just doing that by myself. But especially if I'm doing it professionally, um, I'm not that into the cold criticism project if it's just me in a corner being like, this is the best. Yeah. I would much rather engage with what everyone else is listening to or talking to and, 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 and you know think about it in that way. So the longest way of saying... That was really exciting that there was just new stuff and it came quickly and it felt fresh and there wasn't um, – maybe this is considered um, hostile to people who actually had to spend all night last night and all day today writing about it. Sure. But it, but it was nice that there weren't that many takes on either of these things yet and they were just shared. That was a nice feeling. I feel like so, – and, and it did have and it did have the, that sort of – you know, it's not it's, – it's never going to be the same as when you're a kid and you and I also very fondly remember – the early aughts in New York and listening to Funkmaster Flex sometimes on drives back from from New York to Philadelphia together when we would just kind of like get Flex up to exit five of yes. the turnpike and the, and the day I listened to him debut Bombs Over Baghdad in my, still remember my that. busted yeah. green Volkswagen yeah. double parked in Park Slope, yeah. which is where you should always listen to new Outcast songs, by the way. Or when he was did uh, he moment. would play like um PSA uh, by Jay Z yeah, from the Black over Album, it. just like twenty five times in a row, <laughs> yeah. and I remember sitting like moving my girlfriend's friend out of her apartment in Williamsburg into another apartment in Williamsburg, which I think was like the last time I was ever like, "Sure, I'll help you move." And I was just <laughs> that's like, a rookie mistake. The only pal. thing that saved that day was sitting in the rental van, like making sure it didn't get towed. <laughs> <laughs> And I just sat there listening to PSA, and he was just like, "New York, we need to do this again." And there was nothing, you know. They they play this so right. Like both of these records, the attention span is so small now that you have ten days of people's time. And they knew, you know, the, the Ryan Adams stuff had been promised for a while or been talked about. He was recording it. He was putting up Instagram videos of his recording it. And then last week it was like, this is going to happen. Yeah. And then she started tweeting about it a lot. Like you know, uh, one of a guy who writes for us sometimes, Sam Donsky, made a really funny joke about Taylor Swift paying a forty-year-old man in retweets for <laughs> making her Back to Basics record for her. <laughs> um, that's that's a pretty good but, grasp of the economy there. You know, Ryan went on Zane Lowe's show a couple of days ago, like on Thursday or Friday, to talk about the record that was going to be coming out blood, on yeah. Apple on Sunday and to play Bad, Bad Blood. Nine a.m. Pacific time this morning. Like I turn on Apple. Apple Radio and there's Ryan Adams and Taylor Swift talking to Zane Lowe about the album and it is you know we we talk about like it's called a bunch of different things but it is really a full delivery service when that happens yeah because you do get this stuff that is like music can feel so transient right now that when they can add things onto it like I can hear Taylor Swift and Ryan Adams talking about a record Mm -hmm. As I'm listening to it, or Drake will play parts of "What a Time to Be Alive" and be like, "This is why we did this song." Mm-hmm. You know, this is Metro. Why, like, I wanted to work with Metro Boomin. I, this is, you know, I. This is how this album came up about. It's kind of valuable. I mean, it's, it gives the music a little bit more oomph. So let's talk about the music itself. I, I want to preface this briefly just by saying Taylor Swift's 1989 is better. 
Like, I, it's important. I really feel yeah, like it's what, important to Did you to get into that. some fight with some guy on Twitter about this or something? No, no. I just worry about this. Like, I, I love Ryan Adams. I love what he's done with this record. Yeah. And I'm really into almost all... I mean, I think the record is really good. There's some tracks I love more than others. There's a couple tracks but, that's like the dude in the college dorm who picks up the acoustic guitar and is like, you want to hear a song? And it's not as interesting. And <laughs> No. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's just one of the things that I dislike the most in the way we talk... Not we, the way people in this country or the people in this moment talk about music is, you know, what used to be called or probably still called this idea of rockism that if, if, a, if a white guy with a guitar does your song and then he's legitimized it mm-hmm. and he somehow made it better and so people are like oh finally you know yeah. weren't you getting the, mad about the ted leo cover of uh since you've been gone recently wasn't that well right because no this was the same conversation <laughs> yeah. because because since you've been gone is one of maybe you know it's one of the best pop songs of recent memory it's one of the best songs full stop in recent memory yeah. and then there are people who are like yeah that song's garbage but ted leo man he really <laughs> saved it it's like no, he didn't. Kelly Clarkson's version is better. Like, that's a better song. I'm sorry. Ted Leo's a delightful human being, yeah. and he did a nice cover. Um, I, I feel like that's really important to say. And there are a couple tracks on the Ryan Adams song where it's interesting that, like, uh, like How You Get the Girl is a song I really like on the Taylor Swift album. And Ryan Adams' version is nice, but it's a little dull. And because what's dull about it, he keeps the melody, but what he loses is the, um, the energy. Mm-hmm. He loses the thing that makes a pop song a pop song, which is the sort of, you know, the, the repetition of the, of, the, of the chorus, the energy of it, the whole sound of it, the shine of it is what makes that kind of special. And that's not in his version. And that's interesting to note. So I just feel like I always want to say this because I, if you like the Ryan Adams record, it's like, guess what? You like Taylor Swift, too. So let's stop belittling that half of the equation. Well, so here's. Now, so, OK, go ahead. Go on. No, well, okay, was, I wanted to just touch done. briefly on something that you mentioned, which about about how Drake and Ryan Adams were particularly well mm-hmm. well placed for this kind of moment where i think that music listeners appetite for music from their from their favorite from these big artists is going to become more and more voracious you know and drake is very much satisfying that this year and ryan mm-hmm. adams has been satisfying that for forever but now that he's in a bigger spotlight is primed to take advantage of the fact that way more people know who he is today than did mm-hmm. last friday or last monday and if he puts out a record in the next six weeks, that's really good for Ryan Adams, and it's good for people who like Ryan Adams' music. The one thing that people are going to have to get a little bit used to with stuff like this is when you work this quickly, sometimes there's going to be some, like, mistakes. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of parts of 1989 and What a Time to Be Alive where, like, you guys could have probably fixed that if you worked on it a little longer. Like, I don't care. Like, as I grew up listening... You know, you and I, like, grew up at a time when somebody would, like, Guided by Voices would record on a busted Sony Walkman, and we'd be like, this is better than The Who. Yeah. I, I like mistakes, and I like sloppiness, but there's parts of it where you're just like, oh, yeah, this is, this sounds like you did it in a day. Well, but and it, and that's, like, the story for both of these records is What a Time to Be Alive is recorded six days in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and 1989. Well, well, has- as Rembert has told us, time moves differently in Atlanta. I feel like that's like... Yeah, depending on what's in your cup, sure. That's like a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. You know, that could have just been 10 years. Um, but, yeah, the, the other thing, why, the other reason why this works for Ryan Adams, who is exactly an artist like you described, is that Ryan Adams' talent and personality is kind of like an amorphous cloud. Yeah. He's just always good. He's always making good songs. He's always trying new things, and he's always putting out music. The one thing that makes that a challenge that doesn't make it a challenge to be him because he has dedicated fans and he has his own studio and he has a lot of pinball machines and he seems very happy but it's hard to pin that talent down into into any one moment or or any one recording and say here 
this is what he's good at. This yes. is what it sounds like. That's why so I think to, you and so, I responded to, to, so strongly to his solo album last year is because it, it did feel like, oh, yes. you went and tried to make Southern Accents or whatever. You you did this. And your damn focused. the torpedoes. It's twelve songs long and it's like basically no. It's all killer, no filler. But this is all in many ways even better because it gave him. It, he he's so ADD when it comes to his talent and his songwriting. Um, that this actually pinned him in one place long enough to do one thing mm-hmm. and do it really well. And so there's some things on this record. Like, I, I, I love his version of All You Had to Do Was Stay. I think Bad Blood is amazing. I love what he did with style, and I love the way he changed the lyrics to the make Daydream it a Nation. Uh, Daydream Nation yeah. thing. is terrific. Um, you know, Blank Space is probably going to get a lot of attention because that's the kind of thing that he's done really well in the past. He did it with Wonderwall where he mm-hmm. takes something and then he like surgically removes the sad spine of it and just does that. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty it's a pretty wonderful album to listen to. Um, what do you think of the Drake record? The Drake future I have record? Or not should I say future much... Drake record? Because I think there's a lot of Drake debate record. going on right now about like who's sort of featured on it versus whose record it is and it's definitely a future record that Drake has jumped on I think. Just I think it's a future I think it's a future record, yeah. and I feel like that's my. I think there are a couple tracks on there that, um, like, what's it called, "Diamonds Dancing" or "Dancing mm-hmm. Diamonds"? That Diamond that Dancing. is, yeah, that's a really good track, and I'm <laughs> listening to that a lot. But in general, like, future. I, I, actually, I would use the same way to des- the way I just described Ryan Adams. I would actually describe future that way too, which is that he is and he is an entire gestalt. Like he is just a thing yeah. that is floating out there, and he can bring that to you, and he can bring, take it away, and he can focus it. And I think he did that a lot on, was it two albums ago, or The Honest, where he basically tried to squeeze those those talents and that sound into more of a pop framework, and there were some great uh-huh. pop songs on there. But on Dirty Sprite, like, he's not doing that. And no. so you kind of have to buy in all the way. And he's kind of in that zone that, that Wayne was in 05 to 08, where you get the feeling like this person is just, like, constantly... Like, I with Wayne, it was like, I just feel like Wayne is just, like, constantly rapping and people yeah, put they, they different either, songs over it. but Or they put microphones yeah, in front of him and they take it away. And, and with Future, I just feel like he is always doing this Future thing and, like, they, they've they've made dark records and pop records and, and you know, mm-hmm. now they've made a collaborative record with Drake. Um, there's I, I a couple of things on here, like, like Big Rings is, like, one of those songs where it's like, oh, this could be trophies if they had just... I mean, it's really awesome, but it's just, like, you can it, tell. It's like, you do that verse and I'm going to do this verse and, like, that's done. It doesn't. The, it's not. It's not exactly Watch the Thrones, is what I'm saying. No, but that, he, that's he, fine. He, he, the thing about the, one of the things that make Drake that makes Drake a genius is he's very, very good at at crashing other people's parties. Yeah, but then he's a, secretly, or he's a vampire. Yeah, he crashes other people's parties and then he secretly grabs control of the disc man. Yes, like he changes. He changes. You're like why is Drake the playing party. the music again? Yeah. So if you think about what he did with Fetty Wap this summer on that track My Way, where he just shows up and he basically chooses kind of a different melody. Yeah. Hotline <laughs> Bling is better. not his song. Yeah. And he just kind of slid in and took those songs, and yeah. he's amazing at that. He is interestingly passive on this record in a way, and he feel he seems sometimes subsumed by it. Like he he yeah. is swimming in someone else's lap pool, and it doesn't necessarily accentuate his best talents, but it makes for a really interesting record. Yeah, I I think uh, it'll take a little bit while longer to get used to it, but I, I'm I'm pretty into both both of these records. I'm a little. Just, I think I thought that 1989 was going to be a little bit more colossal than it is. I don't know why. I, do, I, I agree. You know, I but, agree. Um, it's it's definitely really pretty and and uh, what a time to be alive has bangers man Jumpman, but there the, Jumpman's really good but there is a moment <laughs> but there was a moment when we were just hearing those little samples and also this is the other thing that music can do it, 
one of the reasons you and I got into writing about music when we got into it was because you simply couldn't hear the music mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. And so when certain writers that we loved well, or the also, lunatics... Also, like, the whole review process would be, like, spend your money on this. You should do that. But you don't right. have... Nobody it, has to do that anymore. It was servicey. But what I mean is, like, the lunatics at the NME and all the writers that we admired in, in Spin and other places would paint these word pictures and they would use certain trigger words you Mm -hmm. know or descriptions or insane analogies and we would be like oh my god yes and we would be into it we'd be excited and we'd spend way too much money on it so the build-up of ryan adams 1989 was kind of similar to that because Mm -hmm. we couldn't really hear it we just heard these shimmery little 30 second clips but yet we heard okay dream pop reverb soaked he's going to be he's going to be like the smiths it's like stephen street went to nashville it's yeah we were psyched and that record that we heard in our heads is always going to be better than what he actually delivered. Like, sure, that's just absolutely. The way it is. That's a really good way of putting it. But that's um, a throwback in and of itself. Should we wrap things up just by talking a little bit about Fall TV, or do you want to talk about stuff that's on right now? Um, just that it's grim, man. You should have stayed in Europe. I, I, uh, I, I got caught up over the weekend. This weekend I went and saw The Visit, the movie The Visit, uh, which yeah. is very scary if you have that, that's, uh, 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 old night people in your life. Night- yeah. And uh, Sicario, which we I, I really want you to see it so that we can talk about it. But if I'll go see it, anybody who can hear the sound of my voice can hear how serious <laughs> I am when I say that this is the apocalypse now of the drug war. You are psyched. It's so good. Where, where do you slot this in in your syllabus of like you got your Don Winslow novels, you got Narcos? Well, it's not even got... that as much as I just think Denis Villeneuve is, I, and I'm probably butchered that. Um, I is, thought you did that very well. Is, I don't know if it's right. Is but maybe I my it. favorite working director right now. So he's done on Sundays prisoners and enemy and now this and he's doing blade runner 2 and he's got another sci-fi movie with amy adams and jeremy renner coming out called the oh. story of my life i think oh uh but there's just no he there's not a dead shot in any of his movies each and and roger deacon shot sicario he's shooting blade runner 2 um he's done all the cohen a lot of cohen brother movies and and skyfall and a bunch of stuff uh yeah, I can't recommend it high, more highly, but you should see it. We can talk about it next week. But as far as television goes, I did get caught up. I feel like I caught up on You're the Worst. I watched um, – I don't know. What else did I watch? Did you finish, Mr. Ro- you finish Mr. Robot? Can we just do a quick thumbs up, thumbs down on some stuff? Yeah, thumbs up. Mr. Later. Robot, really good, weird cliffhanger. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and – I, I don't know. I, did I miss a lot of theories about Mr. Robot? I, I, I do, do people have like a feeling about what happened at the, in the last scene there? Um, I'm sure there are many, many theories out there. I, I thought it was interesting when I had Sam Esmail on the, on the pod to talk about it. He he seemed, I think this is probably smart long term. He was pretty much like not necessarily encouraging wild spe- like he wants people to wildly speculate. But he said that. For example, the twist, and we're speaking vaguely because we don't want people to fast forward. We'll go back to that world where we don't really spoil anything. But the big twist that a lot of people saw coming in the season, he said we really didn't try to hide it because yeah. I didn't want to create a show that's smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And I feel like he was def- he's definitely positioning the second season in a way that people are curious about more concrete things like what what's really up with Elliot, what was up with his past, what are all of these actually true things that are provable. What did he provable? do to get himself just, put in mandatory therapy? Exactly. Yeah. We just don't know those things. So those aren't like what's real. Those are just we don't know them sure. yet kind of things. Um, you excited for You're the Worst Being Back? It's very funny. It's so funny. It's very funny. It's just a really funny show. Yeah, I wish people would would get on board with that. I think you is know, it not the second doing, season. The, is the are the ratings not very high? I haven't even seen because it's on FXX this year, so it it was always going to have a ratings dip. Yeah. Um, and it's on at you know ten thirty on FXX. It, it, its ratings weren't particularly good the first year, but for people who don't know, this was my favorite comedy of twenty fourteen. It's first season is on Hulu. You can watch the first three episodes free if you don't have the old Hulu Plus. Um, we don't. 
spend a lot of time on shows like that. Which no, I mean, like, it's just, oh, I'm so happy it's there for me. Yeah, like, I'm just, that, that's that's exactly how I feel. Um, I will say that I really enjoyed the Carmichael show. Carmichael show's good, right? Yeah, it's very uh, subversive in a weird way. I know. Um, just because it's, it's not only what it talks about, but the fact that there is no plot. Yeah, it's just like, let's get these people in a room. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's like, it's, what if Louis t- happened in a room would be weird. And, it, and it's funny because Gerard talks a lot about Norman Lear and he got the Norman Lear seal of approval. But he's really, he's taking the spirit of those shows and the idea of them. But he's not really, or at least in those few episodes, didn't seem that invested in expanding the world. Like, sure. It, it really is almost like a a you know, millennial version of it, where it's just like, so give me the talking points. It's like interesting people, political subversive ideas in a room, done. Yeah. And it could be, though, that he only had six episodes and probably didn't think he was going to get more, so just wanted to do the stuff that he was going to do, but it got renewed. Yeah. And you look at that, and why didn't NBC have confidence in that, which was talented guy, great ideas, trying something, and you look at the garbage they're putting on their air this fall. I mean, this is... We can talk about it more once a few more things have premiered and maybe someone... So is there anything coming out uh, in the next, like, say, week that you think that people should keep an eye on? No. I mean, this is... <laughs> it, it's the mo- this is what I wrote. This is honestly... No, like I wrote in, thing. Yeah, I thought... In my piece, I was mind. like, no, I'm like, Supergirl, like, that's well-made. Code Black, like, if you want to watch another ER with, with Louis Guzman, which I kind of do, yeah, that's really well done. So what I was praising, though, is competence, you know, grandfathered. I didn't expect that to be good, and it exceeded my expectations. But right. do I want to watch more episodes of any of these? No. Not really. Not really. And that's, that's, not, that's not a good place for these networks to be in. Well, that's as good as a place as any to stop, man. It's really just, good to just, be back. Just full negative nihilism at the um, end of the show. What are we that's talking good. about next week? What's, what's like, coming Woo! out? Um, we got a lot of stuff coming. Um, I mean, we're heading into some big stuff. We got, uh, we got Homeland coming back. And Fargo. First, epi- yeah. first episode's good. Fargo's coming back. First episode's good. Um, good. Uh, the leftovers haven't brought myself to watch it yet, okay. but I will. Okay, I will. Big. It, I mean, they, it's a, almost a total reboot, so that could really be interesting. And um, and and the Nick coming soon. I can't wait for Nick. So excited. So there's for that. there's a lot of heavy TV lifting coming, which I'm excited about. But we got to get through all this this chaff. Okay. First. Well, we'll talk more about it next week. Maybe we'll hit Sicario again. Uh, it's great to be back. Welcome back, Veransky. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.